Good morning. We are uh, continuing our study on God, marriage, and family. And today, our topic is going to be singleness. Singleness. So, um, just before I get started, let me open us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we are indeed grateful to you for um, just the opportunity to gather around your word, to gather with one another, um, to hear from your word, to learn from your word, to be exhorted by your word, and uh, we are grateful to you for um, gathering us together here at River City Grace. Uh, we are uh, just desirous to learn more from your word about what you teach on singleness, and ask that you would indeed bless this morning. Um, may your saints be equipped, further equipped to serve one another, um, and we just uh, pray that you would attend uh, and help me as I even communicate these things being faithful to your word, seeking to be faithful to your word, and just ask for your help even this moment where we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as I stated, and if you need a handout, there are some available in the back, I believe, if you haven't grabbed one already. Um, but again, today we're going to be speaking on the topic of singleness. Singleness. And as indicated earlier, and, and you, we have notes in the, there's a reference in the back, but the book we've been using is uh, God, Marriage, and Family um, by Andreas Kustenberger and uh, co-authored by Davis, David Jones. And the authors of the book indicate, and I would probably agree with this as well, that singles are probably uh, the most overlooked social group in the Western church. Um, now, larger churches tend to have college and career groups which cater to singles and often provide opportunities for singles to meet a potential spouse and provide social environment for singles. And they almost become like a church-sponsored dating service, right? Um, now, while this may provide a social outlet for young singles, um, it also comes with its own pitfalls. Um, in the greater context of participation in a local church. Uh, these social circles almost become their own little subgroup uh, within the greater context of a church, and thereby, thereby uh, singles may not cross paths or build relationships with other older saints in the body of Christ. So, so, but nonetheless, larger churches may tend to have college or career groups. I used to be a part of one before being here at River City Grace. But but it's often the case that marriage is often the assumed next step for a young person's life who has maybe graduated high school or college and started a career. And uh, in fact, many of us in church who know a single person may see them and think that they're getting on in age. Hey, why aren't you getting married, right? There's this undue pressure that we may place on people who have yet to find a mate, um, and, uh, you know, there's that sharp elbow of encouragement or maybe the head nod when a new person enters a church who's also single. Uh, has that happened to you? <laughs> and if a person remains single into their late 20s or 30s, some may begin to wonder why. Why are they still single? Is it due to their physical appearance? Maybe they're not smart. They have some intellectual abilities that are lacking or they're socially inept. Do they struggle with sins, such as homosexuality? Maybe they have undue high standards that keeps them from finding that perfect mate. Now, it's not often that those in church view singleness as an acceptable permanent state. Uh, 
And what that leads to, it may lead to singles believing that their Christian lives are deficient in some way. Uh, Particularly since the Christian norm is marriage and family. And the expectation is a a normal expectation. Now what we aim to do today is we want to look at what the Bible teaches about singleness. But we will do so as a church um, of both singles and marrieds. This is not a lesson just for singles. Uh, this will be a lesson that will equip all of us and on how we should view singleness in the body of Christ. So, as always, we're going to hopefully have an interactive class. Um, I was talking with my wife the other day, and I, I guess I tend to create an environment where maybe I don't allow for questions as easily. So, <laughs> um, so please raise your hands and um, uh, let me know if you have any questions as well. But some disclaimers before we engage in the topic. For those who are single among here, here, this is not going to be a discussion on the best way to find a spouse. Okay? This will not be some sort of you know, 10 tips for finding that perfect mate. Um, and it's not going to be an exhortation that if you're single, um, and as we'll see, the category of singleness spans a variety of groups. But um, this is not going to be an exhortation for you to get your act together and get married, Um, because the circumstances and reasons for singleness vary from person to person. You have people who want to be married, who don't want to be single, and they have yet to find a spouse, and maybe they're younger in in life, and and they're just waiting to find that perfect, you know, or whatever that category is, uh, a spouse. There are others who desire to be married, um, but maybe they've they're in a stage and age in life where maybe they've realized this may never happen for me. I may never marry. Um, They're older in life. Maybe they've established their own routines in life. And and yet there's a contentment about it. They're contentedly resigned to singleness. Sure, it'd be nice if it would happen, but they're also content in remaining single. And then there might be those who are just wholeheartedly satisfied in being single um, because it frees them up to minister and serve in ways that they would other not, otherwise not be able to do if they had remained, uh, if they had gotten married. So that's my first disclaimer. We're not talking about how to, quote unquote, alleviate singleness. I don't know if that's even a right way of saying it. But secondly, I want to say that our identity in the body of Christ is not based on our marital status. Right? It is rather based on our shared union in Christ. Uh, John one twelve. We read, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in Ephesians 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 4 and on, we read, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Our identity in the body of Christ is not based on whether or not we're married, obviously. That's obvious. But again, as we've talked about, singles may feel, uh, because we elevate marriage and we encourage marriage, that they may feel deficient in some way, maybe lacking in some way, and that's not the case. Um, Because our identity in Christ is based on his work in our lives and bringing us in union together. And we'll talk later a little bit about what maybe God is seeking to communicate even in, in 
the reality that there are singles among us. But also I say this because I don't want to be collectively referring to singles as some sort of label or group, right? It's more of a description of a, of a circumstance or, or status that you find yourself in currently. Um, this is not your identity. Um, because again, our participation in the body of Christ is not based on our marital status. It's based on our shared union in Christ. And so what we aim to do this morning is to look at the Old and New Testaments to see what God has to say about singleness, and then we'll seek to address some issues that may be singleness, um, concerning singleness, so any, any issues that um, singles may face in their lives. But um, with that, are there any questions even as we get started? Any observations that you want to make? Any pressing questions? We've got two already, Randy and then Tim. Yeah, we'll get into all of the, yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about the various categories, uh, if you will, of singleness, and that'll be one of the first things we'll look at, so that's a good segue. Tim. Um, yeah, unmarried people, yeah. Um, yeah, for, for whatever reasons that, that yeah. came about, correct. Thank you. So, any other questions before we resume? Okay, so let's, let's take a brief look, and this is just be kind of a high-level overview discussion about how singleness was seen in the Old Testament. Singleness in the Old Testament. And let me hold my notes out here for you guys so I know I'm following along. Um, well, let's, let's talk basically generally, first of all, that singleness in the Old Testament was rare. Um, in fact, uh, it was rare, rare among those who could marry. Um, anybody want to take a guess on how young people were and got married in the Old Testament? Yeah, 12, 13 years old, right? And men uh, were usually 15 or 16. So very young age, right? There was a very small gap between uh, childhood and there was no category of adolescence, basically. You just were a child and then you got married uh, at a very, very young age. Any 12 and 13-year-olds here? 14, 15-year-olds? <laughs> Anybody in denial? <laughs> um, and, and the reasons for that, if you think about it, what, what do you think were some of the reasons why, or a reason why, why singleness was rare and why marriage took place at such, such a young age? Seth? Yes. There's a very practical reality that, that um, you know, Seth indicates, you know, medicine wasn't around as it as, is as today, that maybe that's what motivated folks to get married so they can have children at a younger age, um, as well as, um, yeah, to avoid sexual temptation. But let's, any other thoughts on that? Maggie? Okay. 
there was, an, it was a very pragmatic approach to, to marriage. But um, do, does anybody recall Genesis 1, uh, 2, 128, right? God calls everyone to be what? Be fruitful and multiply, right? There's, it was a really, it was viewed as a, uh, uh, to not marry at a young age or to not marry at all was really uh, living in contrary to creation, uh, contrary to what God had commanded. Um, so to avoid marriage or to not seek marriage uh, was actually seen contrary to God's command to be fruitful and multiply, right? Um, so that was one of the, the main reasons. In Genesis one twenty eight, he says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. Um, and so it was really just an obedience to Scripture, uh, that drove people to marry at a young age. And, and, and as we'll see, there were some other motivations behind um, continuing to marry and have children. Yeah. It, it, it was, yeah, it was arranged marriages. So the manner in which that took place was absolutely through the father taking a responsibility of, of saying you will now marry or you will be married to a particular person. So yes. Um, now, although rare, singleness did exist in the Old Testament. And so let's look at six categories of singles um, in the Old Testament. Six categories of singles. Well, as Randy already indicated, um, widows. Widows uh, was one category of singles in the Old Testament. And imagine, um, you know, it, we're, we lived in a paternal society where the father took uh, responsibility and care for uh, providing for his home, for providing for his wife, for providing for his family. And so to become a widow in that day and age was particularly difficult because you are now left destitute and by yourself if you had not been properly taken care of. You lose your husband, um, and now you're in a very vulnerable position. Um, now, the scripture did provide for opportunities um, for those in a priestly family to marry their, um, if they were widowed and there was a brother-in-law uh, who was single, the widow could marry the brother-in-law. And that was in order to protect the name. The name would continue on. It was called leveret marriage. Um, and it just simply means marriage with brother-in-law. Um, but it was to, con to, to also protect the name and so that the name would continue on into the future. Um, but widows were one category of singles. Um, and, and the lever at marriage was, again, for, for particularly for the, uh, those who lived in priestly families to continue on the name. And that was, you can find that in Deuteronomy 25.6. And the reason, again, as I've already stated, is that the firstborn son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But nonetheless, you, we have the category of widows, and, and they were, again, in a very, very vulnerable position. Um, any other uh, thoughts on other singles? We have five more categories to cover, so somebody want to provide one maybe that they can think of? Okay, yes, we have unmarried uh, who young men and women, maybe they're just at a, at a point in life where they have yet to find a spouse. And as already indicated um, by Sue, we have fathers usually arrange these marriages. Um, and they also, fathers provided protection for their daughters from you know male predators who might want to 
take their virginity. Um, they, you know, women obviously were um, vulnerable in that place too. So fathers provided protection for them, as well as provided a dowry for their for their daughters. But again, yes. So we have a category of unmarried men and women who are just in that point of finding uh, finding a spouse. So that's two. We have four more, four more to go. Shinwei. Divorcees, right? We have a category of divorcees. Um, now, again, in the Old Testament, it was often and mainly the husband who would initiate a divorce. Um, again, if you put yourself in the position as a woman who lived under the care and support of her husband, for her to seek a divorce would really put her in a terrible position um, financially, economically. Um, uh, so it was often that the husbands would be the ones who would initiate the divorce, and Scripture required them to actually issue a certificate of divorce, um, proving that they had indeed divorced, um, so that the woman could potentially remarry, indicating that she's not, you know, practicing polygamy by marrying multiple folks. Um, but yeah, so we have the divorced as well. Um, any others? Any other categories of singles that you can think of? Patty? Eunuchs? Eunuchs, yes, we have eunuchs, exactly. Those who were either through uh, birth defects or even by practice um, were sterile um, and, uh, and were in service to, you know, they served a variety of categories in which they served, but they were, they were those who would not marry. Uh, they could not have children, obviously. And this was not an enviable position to be in. They were kept, eunuchs were kept out of the congregation of worship. They were considered defiled and could not enter the, the uh, congregation of worship. And they could not participate in the Levitical priesthood either. So yes, eunuchs is another category of singles that we see in the Old Testament. Um, we have two more that I can think of. Any, any other options? Um, there were the infirm, those who were sick. Uh, who had illness, leprosy, or some sort of illness that uh, resulted in economic difficulty. They couldn't even support a family because of some difficulty in health issues or, in, you know, they were infirm in some way, faced diseases. And then the last category is uh, those who had a divine call. Now, this was rare, um, but we read in Jeremiah 16, 1 through 4, um, uh, where Jeremiah was specifically told not to take a wife for himself. And so, in this case, by call, he was to remain single. Uh, again, this is a rare instance of singleness, but it is nonetheless another category of singles. Um, so, just to review, we have widows, we have eunuchs, we have the infirm, those who are ill, sick. Um, we have the divorced, divorcees, unmarried young men and women, and then um, those who had a divine call placed on them. But again, singleness was generally rare in the Old Testament. Um, and it was seen as contrary to creation to not pursue a life of marriage. Pat, do you know what the, all the great uh, people in the Old Testament were married? I'm talking about Elijah or Isaiah or uh, you mentioned Nehemiah, about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Jeremiah. How about Nehemiah? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. So it's possible to get yeah. course I think there were there were some instances where there were certain requirements for service, you know, where you couldn't marry. Maybe you could in other instances, but but yeah, there. 
yeah, I'm not sure what the status of some of the other prophets or others were as regards to their marital status. Um, List. How about uh, the people that had leprosy that were put away? Is that coming in the category of infirm? Yeah, the infirm. Yeah, leprosy was one of those conditions that they might have been married and they attracted leprosy and were put away. Or right, and it's maybe the category of those who were single also then contracted leprosy and whatnot, and, and obviously couldn't marry after that. Um, any other thoughts on on or questions on on the categories of singleness? Now. We'll look now at, at singleness in the New Testament. Um, as in the Old Testament, in the New Testament era, singleness was um, not the norm. Uh, if a person was single, it was likely due to them being in transition. And, and the, the same categories arise in the New Testament. We have the same, you know, those who maybe had a divine call placed on them, they're divorced, unmarried young men and women, even eunuchs. Um, but again, most, most of those who were single in the New Testament were probably uh, just seeking to marry for the first time and hopefully the only time. Um, but we also have widowed, widows and widowers. Um, we have the divorced. But again, even in the New Testament, singleness was seen as rare. And we know that some remain single. Uh, John the Baptist was single, right? Uh, Paul himself, it's presumed that he was single. Oh, Seth. And then, uh, let me finish my thought here, and then Jesus himself was single during his entire service. Oh, yeah. What's really interesting is that um, the Jewish priests were allowed to marry and allowed to have kids. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because in a lot of other religious traditions across the world, you know, the holiest people are celibate. Sure, like yes. In, in, even in uh, like medieval Christian tradition, Catholicism, a lot of the, the monks uh, and the, the, the clergy are, are supposed to be celibate. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, that is interesting. And, and yeah, the Levit Levitical priesthood needed to be perpetuated, right? So, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's some, there's some discussion uh, to be had about um, even the elevation of uh, singleness above marriage at some points for, you know, that we see in, for instance, in the Catholic Church and whatnot. Um, issues too um, so but yeah as we see though uh, singleness was not as common either in the New Testament um, but what we see there's a little bit of a shift um, whereas in the Old Testament singleness was viewed as negatively you know was viewed negatively in the New Testament there is a sense in which it takes on a positive um, note uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7, um, and we'll look at this larger section of Scripture wherein Paul addresses um, the Corinthian church. Now, he's responding to a letter that had been written to him um, regarding some troubles in the church at Corinth. Um, but we read here, and, and just for the sake of discussion, I, I'd like, uh, if we could maybe split this passage up into two sections, I'd like two readers, please. The first one to read chapter um, 1, verse 7, 25 through 31, and then 32 through 40 for someone else. So two readers. Jason, will you take a 25 through 31? 
and then 32 through 40. Someone else? Lori? Okay. Go ahead, Jason. Yes. Now concerning the betrothed, I give no I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly trouble, and I mean to spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Okay. And then, Laura, you want to read the second section there? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and is determined this is his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. So thank you both. Um, so yes, we have, we have here a, a discussion or, or Paul responding to um, some challenging things that were going on in the Church of Corinth. Um, one of the things that was happening is the idea was that the body itself was evil. There, there was some Gnostic teaching going on that indicated that the body was evil, and therefore there was this teaching going on. In fact, um, we read um, in the beginning of chapter 7, uh, Paul writes, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, quote, it is good for, not, for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for, you, for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman is a quote from the letter, that he had received that he is responding to. And he's basically, uh, whereas the Gnostics had taught the body is evil, you're to abstain from sexual intimacy with your spouse, Paul is responding in part to that and, and saying, no, it is good for you to have sexual relations with your spouse. Um, but it is also, in this time, this church is dealing with a lot of difficulties and challenges. And, and we see here that Paul is talking about marriage as being possibly distracting from a life devoted to Christ. While at the same time, he's also affirming a life of marriage, that if you are betrothed, you are to remain betrothed, you are to remain married. You're not to seek a divorce in order to make life easier for yourself, but instead uh, you're to continue in your marriage. But he's also saying, but with it, marriage brings with it certain distractions of life. Your, your life is more 
is often focused on your family and the things that may draw you away or may distract you from pure devotion to the Lord. Um, but marriage as uh, singleness can provide an opportunity to be free from some anxieties and challenges that may not otherwise you, you may not otherwise face as a married person. Um, and it can and it does inhibit undivided devotion to the Lord. And this is not to say that marriage is bad, right? Obviously, we see marriage is affirmed by, by Christ himself. Um, but there is also a sense in which singleness can be a wonderful opportunity to have uh, a devotion to the Lord. Christ himself, when he's responding um, regarding eunuchs um, in Matthew 19, 18 through 12, he says this. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. We see here God, uh, Christ himself, responding to this thought that, um, that marriage is, is um, that you ought to seek to be free from marriage, but he does indicate that there's a place for singleness um, in regards to being more able to serve the Lord freely. Um, and it's not something that everyone can receive. The gift of singleness, you know, there isn't really a gift of singleness. There might be a gift of celibacy, which obviously presumes singleness, um, is a very rare gift. There's some arguments as to whether or not it's more uh, singleness and the gift of celibacy are the same. I, I think singleness can change, right? The status of singleness can change over the course of a life. But a gift of celibacy is, is wholly unique in Scripture. The idea that you can be somebody who's wholly devoted to the Lord, is free from um, the realities of a married life and family, um, Obviously, it's, it would indicate that your sexual temptations are under control um, and that you are duly free to serve the Lord uh, in, a, in a celibate manner. But I think that's a rare gift in Scripture. Whereas singleness may be a particular period of your time in life that presents with it its own challenges. Uh, however that singleness is, re exists today, whether or not it's you know any of those not maybe six categories now, but five categories. We don't have any eunuchs among us, but um, but the the reality is is that um, singleness can change, right? It's not a permanent state. Uh, it may be just a particular period of time that you find yourself to be single. But there is a sense in which there's freedom to minister in ways that marrieds cannot. Um, in in First Corinthians seven, as we've already read, but he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Um, my notes have gotten. I should really take your tips, Tim, and do the half-page notes. <laughs> um, but so singleness can really provide opportunities um, for service in ways that marrieds 
cannot, um, or maybe may have more difficulty. So let's think about, we've got a variety of categories of singles. In what ways do you think singles um, are maybe better positioned to minister in the body of Christ? What are some examples that you can think of? Randy? Well, I was thinking about Tim and, and Pastor Greg and their study that they've done in their positions. It's extremely time-consuming, but they're both married and fathers. So it's, it divides your time. I can see being single, you don't have those distractions you just spoke about where they can focus more uh, without being distracted from what they need to study. Okay. So singleness um, provides practically more time to grow in your devotion to the Lord, right? And, and learning the word and studying the word and being equipped better. So it, it just very practically allows for more time in that way. Uh, what are some other ways that, that being single can really serve the body of Christ? Great. Um, it's kind of related to that, but just uh, generally maybe more time and availability to be more quickly responsive to different needs that may come up in the body or beyond. Uh, you know, there may just be a greater, not always, but a greater ability to respond and adjust and, and be involved. Certainly, yeah. Not yeah. as many constraints. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, a need arises within the body of Christ. Uh, my wife and I have to, maybe we have the means to respond or the opportunity to respond, but we have to coordinate childcare, perhaps, you know, or, or deal with our children, whereas a single person it can just get up and, and respond to that particular need. Christina? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, again, it's, it's a divided attention, right? Uh, we have responsibilities as parents and husbands and wives that just come with the territory that we have to attend to. And yet, at the same time, you know, we do see a need to minister to one another in the body of Christ. But again, it, there's a tension there. That's not to say that tension doesn't exist among singles either, but there is a, there's a general tendency where there's a little bit more freedom in that way, where you can really serve the body of Christ and how you utilize your time and resources to serve the body as a whole. So, Jason and then Tim. Um, it, it, it all kind of goes back to time, I think, too, but I'm not saying anything controversial. Uh, sometimes marriages actually bring problems, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to, you know, maybe you're fighting with your spouse, or maybe you're in some sort of disagreement or there's something painful going on. And so not just time and resources and child care coordination, but you're focused wholeheartedly on whatever that issue is, and it's a, to the exclusion of everything else going on. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a reality for, for marrieds as well. I think overall there's, there's that challenge of just the relational conflict that, that um, results in just bringing two sinners together into a home, you know, in, in a confined space. Tim, and then Sue. Uh, um, every life circumstance, has, kind of the other side of the it has its, has its, uh, its pains. And so, you know, there's there are unique issues that unmarried people, maybe there's more struggles with loneliness or like feeling left out from socially from various aspects of the church. 
So somebody who is in that life situation and has experience in that life situation can be really helpful to others walking through the same thing. Right? Yeah. Um, and and <coughs> so a single, for whatever reason, maybe who's a little farther along, can have a vision for, I'm going to look out for other singles, aware of some of the pressures they're facing, some of the internal struggles they may have, mm -hmm. and kind of target how to be an encouragement to them. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of think of the difference here is thinking for one or three, thinking for two, and um, and as a couple, we're often uh, seeking out a couple that I get along with the wife and he gets along with the husband, so that you're always thinking for two. And um, uh, and in my single days, it was just me and who I felt God was leading me to. But now I would pray with my husband or I think with him to make those decisions. So it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there, Zach, do you have? Uh, well, you can respond. No, go ahead. It's not related to what she said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was just thinking of another opportunity, just resources in terms of your finances. Oh, and I know uh, God gifts everybody differently or gives everybody different situation. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of married people who have more financial flexibility than a lot of single people. But I think, you know, like for me, I only have myself to provide for. And so that gives me a lot more flexibility to use my finances for ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The burdens of, of not not burdens, but the responsibilities of family life obviously require. Yeah, burdens a good word too. Yeah, um, the responsibilities that come with burdens <laughs> of family life obviously yeah consume finances as well. And and though yeah, as a single person who as you know has only himself or herself to feed whatnot and take care of me yeah again frees up finances for ministry or other uses christina it's a question it may be it may you can tell me that it's not appropriate for the time too but like those passages that we're talking about that um it seems to me as if they often elevate singleness above marriage and say hey it's kind of better for you to do this is what are those passages or is there anything in those passages that are purely like i would say seasonally or time focused um, because, like, like, in this day and age, in, in our time period, if somebody was engaged to be engaged, engaged to be married, and just said, oh, well, I'm just going to stay betrothed indefinitely, I would say, hey, I think there's something wrong here. We need yeah. to, you know. <laughs> right, right. Is that me and my interpretation, the societal interpretation, or is that like a strict translation of that verse in the, you know, if you're betrothed and you can stay betrothed, that's fine, you know, kind of thing? Um, yeah. Um, I didn't get into talking studying up on on the status of betrothed i know that was you know it's it's like practically married but not yet um from what i understand um but there's certainly yeah the 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 idea that singleness is being elevated in that passage is not correct because i i think the the idea is um there's there's it's circumstantial to the time where there were a lot of challenges and difficulties going on and the elevation of the the flesh, I mean, the the um, defiling, the idea that you're defiling your flesh if you know if you're having sexual relations. That Paul was responding to that, but also the idea that um, singleness was seen as uh, superior because it allowed you to be freer. Uh, maybe I'm losing my train of thought here. I'm not quite sure how to respond. <laughs> Seth, in the passage. 
Um, and it talks about a present distress. Yeah. And uh, there's, 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 there's also, I think, I'm going to open it up again. I think there's a part where he says, you know, I, this, like this, this is me, Paul, speaking, not specifically, not specifically God. But well, even as Seth indicated earlier, there's there's this tendency to elevate singleness as some superior status, when in reality that's not the case. Uh, people were seeking to seeking divorces, then, and they shouldn't have. They should have remained because singleness was being elevated, right? They shouldn't seek a divorce. They should remain married. Um, but also, Paul is saying that if if you're if you're single, it maybe it might be better to remain that way. It, but neither is better than the other. Um, I don't know if if some of the uh, elders or can so chime you, in on that. I mean, what you're intimating is that there's not one better than the other or right. superior or inferior. They're just realities. Yeah. And there are maybe advantages, disadvantages, or just different um, abilities or lack of those if you're married, single. And I think, and that's, that's a lot of the heart, I think, of what Paul's affirming. Right. It's not a sin um, to get married, and it's not lower class status to be single. Correct. Yeah, that'd be a good way. And just then, real quick, just to highlight what kind of Seth's point about the present distress, I'm not too read up on what, it sounds like some kind of season of persecution. Some of what he's saying sounds very provisional. Mm -hmm. I think the, if you're betrothed, stay betrothed is not meant to be a normative all the time. That, then no one gets married, right? Mm -hmm. If you read, as soon as you read First Corinthians 7, if you're engaged, you never get married. That's preaching that, right? Yeah. So, it seems like there's an occasional, you're kind of alluding to this, some kind of occasional batten down the hatches for now kind of a, me a mentality in some of what he's saying in First Corinthians 7. Yeah. My takeaway is that there's a wise time and an unwise time to get married. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's an important mm -hmm. Well, based on what I'm hearing, um, like, I mean, obviously I'm coming late, so um, I'm just kind of going off what I'm hearing. But based on, like, that passage, I think that, um, because, like, you know, in that time, like, I think what they're persecuting was, like, specifically the Right, and like I know, that like and I know, there's been parts in the Bible where they talk about like the issues with divorce um, and the ethics of that. Um, and so, I could be wrong, but I'm thinking that maybe you're talking about it might be better to stay single until you are for sure that you're going to be committed for life to the person you're marrying, mm -hmm. because you don't want a situation where you kind of get into a marriage and like it doesn't work out, and now you're kind of divorcing for unjust reasons, and now kind of create some, you know, the conflict because you know, in God's eyes, marriage is. Right. You know, that's like a big commitment, it's a big thing, so you have to make sure that you're on. You know, it might be better to be single until you feel like you're, you know, actually ready to actually commit fully to, you know, that other person that you're supposed to marry. Yeah, and I think, I think, I mean, just a further study of the context of what Paul is responding to is, is, again, I think it was an elevation of singleness as a desired state above marriage. So if you're married, you know, people might be tempted to seek a divorce because now singleness is being elevated above marriage and, and Paul is addressing that and saying, no, you stay married, you know, th th that's not the case. They're, they're, they're not uh, superior to each other, one over the other, so. Um, but there, there's an interesting section in this book that we're reading where the authors want to, they, they look at, at singleness in the place of the church to, in today's age. Does it serve a purpose? Does singleness, uh, do singles among the body of Christ communicate something that is beyond uh, even the, the immediate discussions of singleness? And I don't have time to fully develop this, 
Um, but we know in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about marriage, right? Uh, where it's not just, where Paul states that marriage is not simply just the union of a husband to his wife and, and, a, and a, a manner in which companionship can be met and families can be created, but rather marriage becomes a parable or a, a communication of Christ's commitment and love for his church, right? There's a greater story being told in our marriages that, that, are way, that go way beyond us. It, it communicates something about Christ's love and commitment to his church. As the wife submits to her husband, so is the church to submit to Christ. And Christ is, uh, and the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's a greater, there's a greater uh, story being told even in our marriages. You know, it, it's communicating something about the body of Christ and, and Christ's love for his church and the church's submission to him. And so the authors attempt to look at kind of this idea of singles in the body of Christ. Do they serve some sort of purpose? Now, we have Ephesians 5 where it explicitly states that marriage communicates something beyond just the immediate realities of um, the marriage relationship. Um, but what they aim to do is they talk about in the Old Testament, as we've already discussed, singleness was not common, right? And, it, and often it was in response to the command God had given to be fruitful, multiply, but it was also uh, the reality that the Old Testament, Old Testament covenant promises were based on a physical line. Uh, people had to get married. The promises that were given were through people, that, you know, through a nation, through a people that God would make. Um, and the Old Testament covenant's physical offsprings were the vital means by fulfilling the Old Testament co covenants. And that's why we see leveret marriage, as I indicated earlier, as, as a provision allowed for in regards to continuing the names and lines of, of um, the Israelites. In the two New Testament, though, what we see is that it is through a spiritual birth in Christ that we are ushered into the eternal family of God. It's no longer based on a physical line, right? In fact, a lot of uh, the Jews uh, claim that they're in Christ or they had promise of heaven because of their connection to, their physical connection to the line. But we know in the New Testament that it's based on a promise. And, and again, as I don't have full time to develop all of this, but, but here's just a short um, summary of, of um, that was provided in the book that we're using. <coughs> That seeks to place singleness in a in a place between the Old Testament covenants and the New Te New Test New Covenant um, as it regards our eternal future. And he says this: singleness serves as a reminder that the entrance to the people of God is through spiritual rebirth rather than a physical family membership. Likewise, the presence of both single and married people in the church together signifies the fact that the church lives between ages. Married people are necessary because the church is still part of the current age, but single people remind it that the spiritual age has already been inaugurated in Christ and awaits imminent consummation. What is our final state in heaven? Married or single? Right, none of us will be married or given in marriage in heaven. Our eternal state will be single. We'll be betrothed to Christ, but we will all be single in heaven. And so this 
you know, this idea they're trying to develop a biblical theology of singleness is do singles serve a purpose in the body of Christ to, you know, as kind of this transition phase that we're in as we're between ages. Um, the Old Testament, um, it was by birth. In the New Testament, we recognize our union with Christ as a spiritual birth. Um, and then our eternal state will be single. You know, I, I wanted to present that as something that hopefully whet your appetite to maybe further research yourself. Um, but it, it does elevate singleness to a place um, among us. Um, so let's get to some practical things, though, regarding singleness. Um, any questions at this point? I know that's probably one of those ideas that probably raised more questions. <laughs> Um, but it was definitely an interesting thought on, uh, in reading the book that we're using. Any questions at this point? Tim. Open up too much of a can of trouble. But um, you talked about the eunuchs, those who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom in Matthew 19. And you're distinguishing that from somebody who just kind of happens to be single for any number of reasons. Would you say that that? You know, made themselves eunuch is more of a res resolution because you're saying like some people maybe discern that they're going to be unusually content in a single state and maybe they struggle with kind of whatever sexual temptation maybe less and they go this seems like I could live my whole life this way serving the Lord and I would be happy should that person resolve at that point when they realize that and say I'm just going to decide I'm not even going to think about marriage hmm. is it wrong if 10 years later they change their mind and, you know, get married or, yeah, is it, it how intentional and resolved should, should that situation be? Um, I think maybe the, the, the latter of, of I'm resolved, I'm content, mm -hmm. should the Lord provide later, uh, there might be an openness to it. I think the gift of celibacy, though, and the gift of, of devoted service to God would, I think a person would know that they have that gift. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but... So you think that person, if they discern they have that gift, they, they should basically say, okay, I'm, in, internally I'm basically not interested in marriage. I don't think that would be inappropriate, mm -hmm. yeah, um, for someone who has that devotion to the Lord and, and to, to service for him. Um, I don't know if yeah, any other thoughts? Christina and then Taba. I was thinking about that. I think that like um, I, I've seen the nuance and the motivation of that celibacy state be different in the, for different people. I think that the motivation is to serve the Lord, and because they are, they're, 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 they don't they feel that they're they're um, they're fully satisfied and content there, and I think that's a perfect place for that to be. I think that sometimes it's a disdain of marriage or a fear of marriage because of their personal experiences and or whatever else it is that kind of causes them to shun the idea of marriage. So I'm just going to be celibate because I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, like I think that kind of closes off some ability to, for God to like heal those areas. Of, of, um, and so I think that like the motivation has to be, a, the why behind that sure. has to be a pretty big question. Yeah, the heart, the heart issues behind that absolutely should be explored as to what's motivating you to, to remain single. Um, Taba? That would be diametrically opposed. Pardon me? I think that that would be diametrically opposed, like those two lifestyles, you know? Because, like, um, if you're married, like, you're not supposed to, like, deny your partner, you know, 
they desire to. Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless th that person is also going, <laughs> has a gift of celibacy as well, then I don't know. Well, within the context of a marriage, like, yeah, you're not to, you're not to withhold, right, you know, sexual so, relations with one another. So, like, how could you be that and, and also? Yeah, I don't think Tim is indicating, okay. like, being married and then also staying celibate. Right. Yeah. That's not what he's, no. He's just saying if there's a person who decides to remain single, um, should they just wholeheartedly commit themselves to that and close the door to any future possibilities of marriage, you know? What stage you are in life. Yeah. And did I see another hand back there? No. All right. Any other thoughts or questions before we walk into some practical issues involving singleness? Blake? Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, I don't think it's a sin to, in different seasons of life, to, to try to figure these things out, because some, there are a lot of people who have seasons of life who are still trying to figure out whether they're, they want to be married, or single, or celibate, or whatever, and so, uh, it's, I think it's good to remember that it's okay to be in doubt or to, or to be guiding or to be trying to figure these things out because we're not always 100% certain all the time. So, Are you sure about that? <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, start, it's good to, to think through these things and be thoughtful and seek the Lord's will and guidance because we're not always 100% sure about what either what our decisions are or what the word of God says. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Lori? Um, were you going to say something? No, no. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a group that within the church maybe we're missing okay. here, and that would be people who are unequally yoked. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah. they come into the church and in essence... In, in one sense, they're single because they're not coming in with a married person to serve with them. Um, and they aren't, they're married, but they're not. You know what I mean? There's just kind well, of a... Well, they this, are married. Right, but they're not seen necessarily that way in terms of Understood. being able to serve together with their husband. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, and that's a unique circumstance that I hadn't even considered, but... I mean, what is there? How can they best be engaged in a body? Or? I, I, maybe you're going to address it in terms of singles and, and marrieds here coming up, but I, I wouldn't have thought that as a single person. You know, that's not someone who's single. But I understand what you're saying is that they're unequally yoked, meaning they've turned to faith in Christ. Their spouse is still rejecting God. Their marriage is working, but there's there's a there's a disconnect there, obviously, that they experience. Uh, I would imagine, where they're not, you know, they're not sharing what one spouse shares dearly with her Lord, with her spouse. You know, so there's, that, I think that's a whole unique circumstance that I, w I wasn't prepared to speak to. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Always have that back door <laughs> on those tougher issues. Um, but let's just and. It's it's a good thought, and and that's that's a reality in this church. You know, we have we have that situation here at that church um, to to be mindful of. But let's think. Just I want to I want to just address. There were some other things about just 
the, the issues that we face as singles, you know, that singles face um, or opportunities, uh, I just want to quickly mention these. Obviously, we've already discussed for singles, there's greater ministry opportunity. Maybe not greater, but there's, there's freedoms. It's even already been indicated. There's, there's some freedoms uh, in how one can minister. Um, uh, we've mentioned time, money, devotion to the Lord, service to the body. Uh, but singles, you know, there's a reality that those who are, don't have the gift of celibacy uh, struggle with the realities of life and, and temptation. Um, and they may seek to, uh, you know, particularly sexual temptation. Uh, and so we may try to seek to short circuit that by cohabitating with someone, uh, having premarital sex. Obviously, that's clearly forbidden in Scripture. Uh, scripture calls us, you know, if we, if we burn with lust for one another, and again, this is in the passage we read, get married. You know, there's there's almost a very pragmatic approach to seeking a spouse um, if, if that's an issue for you. Um, let's talk about courtship and dating. I'll tell you everything I have to say about courtship and dating. All right, next point. <laughs> it's a new age, people. Uh, uh, how to find a spouse, that's uh, a topic for another day, unfortunately. <laughs> um, in the interest of time. That's the other back door. <laughs> in the interest of time. Um, no, but obviously there's some challenges. And how, how do you go about finding a spouse these days? Um, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, other than being prayerful, uh, David Duran has some answers. Does it go actually ask this question? Obviously, single people, there's you know, two or three camps here. Single people that are content in the singleness, great, right? Good thing. Uh, there's single people who aren't sure, right? Maybe and maybe open, maybe don't know. And then there's ones that do desire marriage, even biblically need to get married, perhaps. Right. Um, and I asked the question, like, oh, do we have a class on here where we're gonna for those ones that are desiring to be married, married either now or in the future? Um, like, what do they do, right? Dating, courtship, and all that. And so, yeah, it sounds like you're not necessarily it's not fitting into this class, mm -hmm. but. I think it's still an interesting question what the Bible says and doesn't say about that, how it looked in the Old Testament, New Testament. Curious, though, perhaps you could tell us, how did you find your wife? Because you found a pretty good wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, found, I found what was good. Circum, I mean, it was the Lord's provision. I mean, just through the variety of relationships that I had from other churches, you know, and, and just our paths crossed, and, um, and my heart fluttered, so... <laughs> I had a burning in my bosom, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, isn't it weird? I mean, how, there's probably how many you know marrieds who have a unique story of how they met their spouse. So it, it really, there, it's yeah, that's how I found her, just through the realities of of the life I was living at the time with the people I was roomating with, and and um, and yeah, our paths crossed that way. I don't know. I, I tell you what, for me, marriage, I was, I got married in 33 years old. Um, you know, from 18 to 33, marriage was a very heavy uh, focus of my life, a desire to be married. It became all-consuming at times uh, and very difficult and distracting. And it really just revealed an idolatrous heart. Um, but um, I do want to get to some of these things because I'll touch on this as well, is, is some thoughts, and maybe this will David's question a little bit. Um, some thoughts for singles who desire to marry and struggle with being single. Um, 
you've probably heard this already as a single person who desires to be married, but seek to be content in your current circumstances. I know you've probably heard this a dozen times, if not more, but it is really um, a heart that is content um, is where you want to be. You know, Paul himself highlights the fact that I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, Contentment, or rather discontentment, is idolatry. Discontentment takes something that you feel you deserve or feel that you need and you have elevated it above God himself. And so discontentment is a form that is idolatry because you are now, you have raised something that you feel you need above God himself. We did a whole series on contentment that I would commend to you um, because it really is a, it's a heart-searching issue um, of what you have really placed your value on. When I was in my early 20s and, and into my early 30s, that was, I mean, I could see in retrospect how I how I idolized marriage. You know, I'd come from a pretty rough background. I had, my mom had married three times and there was a lot of difficulties and I desired to not repeat that cycle. And so marriage became the means by which I could finally start my family off on its right foot, you know. Um, and, and it became this idol of my life and it became all consuming. Um, so, and I was discontent. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my, you know, 32 that I met Michelle and, and then a year later we got married and and it's but it, it again it, it reveals that discontentment in general is idolatry and, and if you feel discontent in the fact that you're single let that be a time to cert, have the Lord search your heart um, so because it, it, it can raise all sorts of issues you may seek to alleviate your singleness in unbiblical ways um, which you don't want to do and further incur judgment. Uh, you know, if your contentment is based on whether or not you have a spouse, your contentment will wax and wane. You know, as I've, as I've been indicated, marriage is hard at times and, and it can bring with it um, its own challenges. But even then, it, that doesn't matter. Um, if you've placed your contentment on whether or not you're married, um, you've, you've elevated it to a point of idolatry. But a life content in God himself is, is a life filled with gratitude and trust. It's a life filled with prayer. Um, pray that he will provide for you a suitable spouse um, and trust him with your life. As, additionally, for those who struggle with being single and desiring to be married, remember your life is not the center of what God is doing in this world. right? But it does include you. You are not the center of what God is doing in his life. And I, the reason I say that is that we often approach God with our concerns and prayers, seeking to alleviate our undesirable condition. When at the same time, we may fail to see how God is using our circumstances for his glories in ways that might even be unseen to us. Um, you don't know how your singleness is being used by God in the body of Christ um, because we're often blind to it, because we're so focused on our idolization of marriage um, or, or desiring to alleviate our, our singleness. Um, so 
So don't forget that God is doing greater things beyond what you're even capable of seeing at times in, in utilizing or using your singleness to minister um, to, and to glorify himself. It's a summing up of all things in Christ we read about in Ephesians. God is working, and as much as our marriages are not simply about uh, loneliness, you know, it is not good for man to be alone, our marriages communicate much, much more uh, than just simply companionship and, and procreation. There's, God is doing through marriages greater things beyond our abilities to see, and so he does with singleness. And so don't neglect to see that your life is being used by God in ways. Um, and so it's not just about you, although it does include you. So remember that. And then finally, live in, among, live in and among a community of believers in a local church. This is not so that you will find a spouse, you know, although that might be the reality too, but it guards against loneliness. To be engaged in the body of Christ is, is a very practical way to deal with loneliness. You know, it's, it's so to be among believers who you can serve and who can serve you. Um, and it's also to be surrounded by godly people who, when you do potentially or should the Lord provide a spouse for you, can speak into your life and help to gather together around you to see if this is a suitable person for you. You know, in our independent age, you know, I don't want mom and dad or anybody else telling me what to do, um, but to have a community of believers, uh, and in my case, that was the reality. You know, it wasn't short uh, before Michelle and I started dating that we got stuck in a big diabetic coma because of Patty's big bowls of ice cream that doubled down as truth CERN as she's integrating, I mean, in, interrogating rather, <laughs> Michelle, right? What a help that is, you know, as, as one who is so devoted seeking a spouse to have, I'm sure I had blind spots all over the place, you know, but to have a community around me who knew me, who knew my shortcomings to also speak into my life um, was helpful. It was immensely helpful. Um, but it guards against loneliness, it, you know, and, and it's also helpful for those people who may not have Christian parents whose ideals are different than those who you might share with among in the body of Christ. So to have other adult, uh, older, older saints or others who are Christian who recognize what you're looking for in a spouse may not be the same thing that your parents might be desiring for you. So to have others in your, in your community to help you with that. Any other maybe suggestions from you guys um, or Zach? Yeah, just one quick thing. And I think this fits in and, and maybe is implied in everything you're talking about. But I think it can be easy to think of marriage when you're a single person to think of it as the answer to the problems that you have. Um, particularly if we're talking about sin, things like discontentment or sexual sin or even loneliness, um, which can be a sin if you're idol, like if it's becoming an idol that marriage can just be like, once I have that, then all those things go away. Right. And I would guess most married people here would say that's not the case. Yeah. And those things play themselves out differently, or they look differently in the context of marriage, but it's not just like this magic pill that makes those things go away. Right, and absolutely. I mean, you've said it well. Christina? When you're single, though, as you think about those that we've gone through with counsel, they're, they're a tough time the first time in marriage said it would be much easier if I were single. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's a, the focus on today. We're not supposed to be anxious about tomorrow. This is the day the Lord has made for you, whatever you do. And then my favorite, Charles Spurgeon, 
with today, the condition you're in, whether that's married, single, or whatever else, knowing that he's, he's fulfilling his purposes and working <coughs> good in your life and in his care for you, and he's trustworthy, and pressing into Christ, pressing into wherever you are in the, on that spectrum, pressing into Christ, and, and just um, finding yourself closer to him at the end of the day. Because yeah. um, he, is, he is better than any condition. <laughs> Paul? Yeah, I think it's important as a, something that I didn't do when I was a single man is to prepare. If you're a single man and you desire to be married, you better prepare your heart, first of all, to be married and prepare in practicality to be married. Are you able to support a family? Something that I did that you can't just step one day you're single and the next day you're married and think everything's going to be all right because you've got to divorce the singlehood, the mentality of it, and just take the time to prepare yourself uh, to be married. You know, take the time as a single, you know, get in counsel with, uh, I'm talking about men now, get in counsel with a, a godly man or a, or a pastor or an elder or something like that, and have them help you prepare your heart to be able to take on another person and love them unconditionally and stuff like that, because, again, that's something that I did not do, and I bore the consequences of it. So, in the interest of time, I want to rush through, Sue, I saw your hand, but if you don't mind, I just close, close out, because um, I want to talk to us, too, not just Okay, singles, but are the body of Christ. How can we as a body um, help one another? Uh, and the first thing I would say is, and this goes to both marrieds and singles, okay, these, these suggestions. Befriend singles. Be friends with them. Involve them in your lives. Singles, involve other singles in your lives. Marrieds, involve singles in your lives. Uh, don't let that category <laughs> dissuade you. And now it's Practically speaking, it, I find it difficult sometimes, you know, to think about that because our lives as a, as a father, husband of children, it's easier sometimes just to get other families together and have the kids involved and all that kind of stuff from practical. But, yeah, there's, there's a need for me to also think about ways I can minister to singles among the body of Christ. And, um, and so, but for all of us, you know, practice hospitality. Uh, we're called to practice mm -hmm. hospitality, and one practical way to do that is to, you know, not neglect the um, involvement of singles uh, in your lives. And again, this goes to singles as well. You guys can all get together and, and encourage one another. And I see this happening in this body for sure. Um, and just quickly, um, be careful. Don't make someone else's singleness your personal mission to remedy, <laughs> right? Uh, it's well-meaning, it's well-intentioned, but it comes with its own challenges as well um, uh, because it begins to elevate, again, marriage like you're deficient in some way as a single person, when in reality that's not the case. Um, be, and be mindful how you talk to others about marriage. You know, um, I, I've certainly shared how marriage has been a sanctifying force in my life. You know, I would not have known or some of the sins that the Lord has exposed in my heart. I wonder if they would have ever been exposed had it not been in the context of a, of a marriage and family life you know God has used my wife and my children to sanctify me this is not however to communicate that I'm at some higher level of sanctification because I'm married you know the Lord just saw fit you know to use these circumstances and realities in my life but it so just be careful how we talk about marriage at times that it's not just some higher status as the, as a Christian and again as I've already indicated none of us will be married or given marriage in heaven um, so the best way to encourage single people is to continue as Christina indicated uh, by her quote even from Spurgeon is to make Christ your treasured possession 
he is whom you will spend eternity with. Um, our marriages will end. We will know each other in heaven, but not in the same way. Um, and so let Christ be your treasured possession. Um, so again, the married state is not our final state. Um, and we, we, guard it, we guard against discontentment. Obviously, there's so many other implications and things to talk about regarding singleness. The book was thick um, and dense, um, but to squeeze that into now an hour and 15 minutes. Sorry, guys, I went over. Um, but feel free to come up, ask questions. My email's on the notes on the back if you want to email me anything. But thanks for your attention. God, we thank you for your kindnesses to us, just, Lord, even in providing this uh, series. Uh, we do pray that you would help us to uh, filter these things through the lens of your word um, and to respond to them accordingly, Lord. Thank you for this body of Christ. May you just prepare our hearts even now as we continue in worship. We pray in your name. Amen.